you, but uh, I am happy for 2017 to come to an end. Uh, it's been a hard year. 2017 has been a hard year. Uh, and I get the opportunity to not only run in the circle of about 10 to 15 other churches and pastors, and it's sort of odd in a way, strange in some sense, that every single one of those churches and those pastors have had a really hard 2017. And they're happy for 2017 to come to an end. And even when you kind of pull it back from the uh, kind of the, the church life, uh, I was watching something the other day, I noticed these news reporters, and they were just uh, cycling through these news reporters, and these news reporters were all saying the same thing, like, we're glad for 2017 to be coming to an end. It's just been a hard year for various reasons. And so uh, we're glad for 2017 to be coming to an end, but there's many good things that's happening. 2017, but we're thankful that another year is upon us. And so I think as we think about the difficulties of this past year, one thing uh, is shared amongst us all, and that is that we all long for peace. In the whole world, we long for peace. As we think about a difficult year, we are united by the fact that we would love for peace to break in. Peace uh, in, from pain, peace from strife, peace uh, in difficulty, peace in relationships, peace in the world as it so today, we're going to consider the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. Uh, and what we're going to find is that in Him, in Jesus, we can have all the peace that we want. But, here's the thing, the peace that Jesus offers is not in the way that we might think. It's come to us in the way that we might think. So as you heard Alejandro reference during this Advent season, if you're joining us here on this first Sunday uh, this first time we've been here during this series, we've been walking through Isaiah 9-6, the four names in Isaiah 9-6, that are given to the child who is going to be born. Isaiah is written, he's writing hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, and he writes, uh, he prophesies, and his, uh, his prophecy is so clear and so accurate, uh, and uh, speaking to us about this child that is going to be a king. And there's four names that you've heard Alejandro reference that we've been looking at. A wonderful counsel. First week, the second week, the mighty God, third week, the everlasting Father, last week, today, the Prince of Peace. So let's look at that passage one more time to consider the context of these names. And then we'll turn to the book of John to see Christ as the Prince of Peace. So Isaiah 9, chapter 6, and verse 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, Clearly in this passage, we find that there's this emphasis uh, of a child that is going to be born that is going to bring sort of this government of heaven to earth. Uh, and of this government that he is bringing to earth, there's going to be no end. And all that means simply is that he cannot stop. His reign is ruled will advance and cannot come to an end. We've thought about those four names of this child, Pete, and that brings us again today to the Prince of Peace. Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Now in that passage in verse chapter 9, uh, in verse 6 and 7, the word peace there is that familiar word. Some of you uh, are not Hebrew scholars, but you at least 
except for the word shalom. The word shalom. That's the word there. The word shalom. And shalom means wholeness. Wholeness. And the word for prince there means leader or ruler. So when you put those two together, we see the child that is coming on Christmas is a king who is of peace, that is a ruler of peace and wholeness. He's bringing wholeness to the world. His rule will be one that restores peace in the world. And of his peace, of his wholeness, of his government, there will be no end. And this, of course, is exactly what we read just a moment ago, right? When the angels are singing, glory to God in the highest. And by the way, many of you have seen, or maybe some songs are seen, Christmas cards that says, peace on earth. And you read that text, you notice it doesn't quite say that. It is going to be peace on earth, but the thing that they say the angel saying was peace among those of whom he is well pleased, among whom his favor rests, I'm saying. So we learn about that peace on that Christmas day when Jesus is born, they're singing, the angels are singing peace. Also, eight days later, when Mary and Joseph bring uh, the Christ child to the temple, there's a guy named Simeon that is there waiting on Jesus, the Messiah to come, the one who's prophesied in Isaiah. And he takes little baby Jesus, picks him up, looks into his face, and prophesies and said that this one will lead us into a way of peace. And then as we know, Jesus, when he grows old, he would often greet people by saying, peace to you. He would heal people. And then afterwards he would say, go in peace. Of course, how can we forget that great time when Jesus calms the wind and the waves? How? By simply saying, We're often even reminded of the uh, of Jesus' apostles that would start their letters. Grace and what? Peace to you. So everything that Jesus did was in fact bringing peace, bringing wholeness, just as Isaiah prophesied that he would. But, as I alluded earlier, Jesus does not bring peace the way that some people might think. If we're to look at John chapter 14, verse 24, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, though, do I give to you. Peace I leave, peace I give, but I don't bring peace in the same kind of way that most people think of peace. Which I think explains that maybe strange verse in Matthew 10, 34, when Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Does that? This is how very Christmassy, doesn't it? So Jesus, he does bring peace, but not as the world understands it. He gives peace in a way that is not like the world. So in the eyes of the world, Jesus' peace will be seen as division, as a sword. Remember, we got those words from the angels. They said, peace among whom his favor rests. So let's take a closer look at this peace, this principle evaluate the kind of peace that he brings. What we've been doing throughout the series is taking those things and then seeing Jesus teach them in action. So today we're going to be doing that from John chapter 16, verse 33. You want to go ahead and turn there if you're not there already. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is a disciple of Jesus. So to give you some context there of John 16, in John 13, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples then uh, they have this Passover meal. That's the time when Judas, the one that betrays Jesus, leaves. And then from chapter 15, all the way to the end of this, actually chapter 14, from 
14, all the way to the end, right here, 1633. Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. So if you've got a red letter Bible, you'll notice a whole lot of red letters in, those, uh, in that passage. So Jesus is doing a lot of teaching to his disciples. He's explaining them the way of his kingdom, the way of Christ. Uh, he's telling them in particular, right before this passage, about what's going to happen when he's handed over. So that explains for us, oh, and by the way, in chapter 17, the one that comes right after this, that's when he kind of gives his closing prayer. You know, so he kind of preaches, and then he kind of gives his closing prayer. That's John 17. In John 18, he's then handed over to the church. There's our context. So that gives us the, these things. That gives us some context of the, these things in verse 33 of chapter 16. He's referencing all of his teaching, but especially what's going to come in his being handed over to God. So, verse 33. Here's the words of I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. I have overcome. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. The world's going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome. So, to see Jesus as the Prince of Peace, we're going to consider the troubles that his disciples, even today, uh, will have to endure as tribulation in the world. We're going to have to think about that, and then we'll see how Jesus overcomes that tribulation in order to bring peace. So, we're going to think about tribulation. Not exactly the Christmas Eve service, sort of sermon you were expecting, right? We're about tribulation. But in order to understand Jesus' teaching, you've got to understand the promise of Jesus' uh, tribulation to his disciples. Two points this morning. First one is this. You will have tribulation in the world. So you will have tribulation in the world. So the word tribulation there means distress, trouble, oppression. Right? So Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And we say to that, Amen, right? We're like, yes, that is true. Some other things, not sure about Jesus' prophecy. That one, probably that one, he got that one, most certainly, but he gets all things right. But we know that this world has full of tribulation. So aren't you glad the Bible describes the kind of world we live in? Are you glad that the Savior that we have in Jesus sounds like uh, the kind of God who is talking about the same world we live in? Not this, the Bible and Jesus himself does not kind of fill us with kind of flowery language that doesn't sound like the world we live in. It's very full of tribulation, and Jesus tells us that it is. The Bible and Jesus himself is not like other so called holy books that basically say, sort of, let's get it right, do these things, and maybe you can spend eternal, eternal life with you. No, Jesus tells us it's hard. It's hard. It's got to be hard. It's full of tribulation. Jesus told us it would be that way. But what does he mean by tribulation? What kind of tribulation is Jesus talking about? Well, at least tribulation in two ways. First of all, tribulation as a fellow member of a broken world. You're going to experience tribulation as a fellow member of a broken world. So when Jesus says that his disciples will have tribulation, he knows that as a member of the human race, we are all subject to the curse of the world. The difficulties of the world. So when sin entered the world, Genesis chapter 3, when Sin enters the world, death then entered the world, and it entered into all of the world. 
sin and death enters into all of the world, all the way down even to the molecular level. We've got a number of scientists in our church, and they can tell you they spend a lot of their time looking at the molecules and things down in glasses and things that I don't understand. And their whole job is to try to overcome that death that they're seeing even at a molecular level. Not only is this curse or this tribulation in existence of a broken world just as it relates to we also see a curse, or sin, or death, or strain, or tribulation in our relationship between each other. Think about what Jesus says about divorce. He says that divorce comes into the world because of hardness of heart. People's hearts are broken. And some of you, even at Christmas time, you know it's difficult. Sometimes families getting together is hard because there's relational brokenness and tribulation. Well, there's even brokenness and death or sin in our Friendship to Even that even goes further than that. The brokenness of the world goes beyond that. We even find in Scripture that there is tribulation in the world as in the world in general, just in creation. You can think about tornadoes and earthquakes and fires and hurricanes, droughts, floods. The world is subject to the curse of sin. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and the verse just before that it indicates that creation is even longing to be set free from its bondage of the curse of sin and death. Even creation is subject to this tribulation. There's a sense in which Jesus says creation is longing to get out of that curse. And so when Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation, he knows that part of that tribulation is simply being a member of the broken world. This is kind of the tribulation, though, that is not unique to the Christian. Every person on planet Earth experiences this brokenness, this tribulation. Christians get no special pass out of the brokenness of the world. We are subject to it as well. We are of, we are not of the world, but we are certainly still in the world, and therefore we are subject to the tribulation of death, disease, and destruction. And the Prince of Peace wants us to be prepared. But that's not the only tribulation he's talking about here. Tribute disciples of Jesus, they will have tribulation as a member of the world, but they're also going to have a kind of special tribulation that the rest of the world does not have. They are going to be subject to a tribulation as being a member of the body of Christ. We're subject to tribulation as a member of a broken world, and Christians in particular have a special sense in which they endure this tribulation, namely that they're a member of the body of Christ. So Christians, I think, in America have recently become more familiar the teachings of persecution in America and in the world as a whole. For a long time, Christianity has been the kind of home team of this country. While not everybody believed the gospel uh, in the United States of America, uh, there certainly was a lot of acceptance of Christian culture in America. But with the rise of secularization in the 20th century, historic Christian teachings are now being challenged. And now, Christians are more like the kind of visiting team. U.S. Uh, so we've lost that kind of home field advantage, and many Christians are discovering the throngs of pastors in the New Testament that promise persecution, promise suffering, promise tribulation as a result of following Jesus. Uh, many people love that sermon of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. They follow those passages. I remember as a kid, I had it in my bathroom. So beautiful. But we often leave out those last couple things in the Beatitudes. Jesus is blessed over those who are persecuted for righteousness. There's the kingdom. 
Jesus tells us that we as Christians are going to suffer in this world. We can even think about the passage right here just before, John 15, verse 18 to 20. Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute me. Of course, we read about this very thing in the early church in the book of Acts. We watch as Christians love Jesus, they live their faith out, they get persecuted, they suffer a lot. And as the gospel advances to the book of Acts, you notice in the book of Acts, as they're suffering, they're always talking about the resurrection. They know they're so uh, uh, experience, they're experiencing so much suffering, so much tribulation. It causes them to hope in the answer where it all gets turned around. Thinking about the resurrection, they're hoping in heaven. Something that I think us in America are even starting to relearn. Because we are beginning to suffer, just like the church has always suffered you down here, just as Jesus promised us we would. Now we're kind of returning to those passages. And now we are starting to even think more about the resurrection, about the hope of heaven. Because I think we have been comfortable before. We've not really needed to think about those things. Now as things are getting more difficult, we are reminded as Christians that we are citizens, not of the world, but we're citizens of heaven. The tribulations that we are experiencing, as Paul says, are quote, light momentary afflictions that are preparing for us on the eternal way to which also explains why Paul says really strange things like we rejoice in our sufferings. Because Paul knows that as we suffer for Christ, they are making us to look more and more to the peace of Christ, to the home that we have with him forever and ever. So the New Testament is just right with this kind of teaching. Peter, Paul, James, John, all of them are frequently talking about the tribulations we experience in the world because they know We're members of a broken world, we're members of the body of Christ. Christ told us that these would be the kind of birth pains that would lead to everlasting life, everlasting peace. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, suffer well. Again, not the kind of teaching you were hoping to hear, but important to understand that you suffer well. Fast to Christ. As I said, I'm like you. I'm hoping that 2018 will come soon. 2017, that I'm hopeful that our tribulations will be slight next year, but where we have to suffer tribulation, either as a member of the world or as a member of the body of Christ, look to Jesus. Find peace in Him. Be reminded that not only did your Lord tell you it was going to be this way, He suffered more than you, He suffered before you. See, trials are not mere facts, they're not mere abstracts to God. Suffering, tribulation is something that God knows experientially. Jesus Christ knows the pain of losing love. He knows what it is to be weary. He knows what it is to be mocked and made fun of. He knows what it is to even suffer and die because of what he believes. So suffer well by remembering that they suffer Jesus suffered. He's calling you to endure something that he knows himself. He's 
not calling you to do something that he doesn't know. He's calling you to do something he knows himself. He never lied to us. He told us it would be this way. This was the road we would have to walk. So for us to realize the peace that we all so desperately long for, we have to travel the trail of tribulation to show up at your step of the place of peace. We'll be there soon. My friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, not trusting in Christ, I'm sure again it's sort of a strange Christmas Eve sermon to you. Uh, I hope you'll see though from this passage that the Prince of Peace is honest about the trials you and I are facing. We don't gloss over those. Jesus does not see the world with rose-colored glasses. I hope you see that and are refreshed by his honesty. He tells us that it would be difficult. He tells us that we would have to suffer. And so uh, he's so honest about our suffering and our tribulation that he's willing to enter into. So I want you to think about all the difficulty, friends, that you are not trusting in Christ for. Consider, friend, the reality that not only is he honest about the suffering in our world, he wants to so overcome it that he will be Well, this, of course, is not the end of the story. Some of you are saying, okay, Nathan, can you get to the half stuff? We've got enough in 2017, some difficult stuff, but it's hard. Give me to the peace part. Well, the Bible makes clear that the tribulations we are experiencing are the final pains that lead to everlasting life and peace, and that's what Jesus goes through. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he overcomes all of our tribulation. Because he overcomes the world. So second point there, take heart. Christ has overcome the world. Take heart. Christ has overcome the world. We will have tribulation, but secondly, as we think about the Prince of Peace, Christ has overcome the world. There again in verse 33, he says, In me. He says that, Jesus does, in order to set himself against the tribulations that we have in the world. So in Christ you can have peace. In the world you can have trouble. But in Christ you can have peace. And the reason why we can have peace in Christ is because he's the Prince of Peace. But how is it that he's the Prince of Peace? Well, our answer is because he overcame the world. He's the Prince of Peace because he overcame well, well, how did he do that? Well, he overcame that which introduces tribulation, that which introduces pain and suffering. That's how he became the Prince of Peace. He became the Prince of Peace because he overcame the world. Well, how did he overcame the world? Well, he overcame the thing that causes tribulation and a lack of peace in the world. Well, what's that? The answer to that is sin. He overcame sin. Sin is the disruption of peace. He overcame that. He overcame the thing that the world is sort of pushing out, which makes him the Prince of Peace. Friends, you learn a lot of us by asking them a very simple and yet profound question. What's wrong with the world? Just ask somebody that. We're drinking some eggnog later tonight. Right? Just a simple question. What? is to that question. We're going to learn a lot about their theology. What's wrong with the world? Isn't it interesting, by the way, that we don't have to convince anybody that there's something wrong? Whether you're an agnostic, an atheist, or an animist, all of us believe that there's something wrong with the world. Where we disagree is what's wrong and how to overcome that. 
So ask somebody what's wrong with the world. So we long for it to be better. We long for it to be fixed, for, the, for, for there to be wholeness, to the brokenness, to have shalom, to have peace. The question is, why are things so bad? Why are things so difficult? Why is there tribulation? Well, if your answer is education, then what we need is a good teacher to give us peace. If your answer is economics, then what we need is a good business analyst to diagnose and then write policy to give us peace. If your answer is psychosomatic, then we need a good therapist to bring us peace. If your answer is ethics, then we need a well-trained ethicist to give us peace. Problem with all of these answers, friends, is that none of them go deep enough. None of them go deep enough. You cannot overcome the world by merely fixing surface level problems any more than you can overcome rust by painting over. And that's what all those answers are. They don't go deep enough. They're good. We need those things, but they don't go deep enough. They're symptoms. So we have enough food to feed the world. The reality is we do. We have enough food. The problem is not that we have enough food. The problem is we some of us hoard it. There's enough well-trained minds to educate the world. There are enough books and therapists to give us more self-confidence, self-esteem. There's no shortage of religious zealots or philosophical minds to show us a more ethical way. The reality is, friends, we don't find ourselves any better off than our world. I'm sure some things are better, but in the end, the tribulation came to difficult. No difference. In order for there to be peace, wholeness in our lives, wholeness of the world, the human soul has to be touched. Soul has to be touched. Our good friend William Wilberforce says that if we do not understand how seriously ill we are, we don't pursue the remedy with the required ability. We are slightly ill, he says. We take an aspirin. We are dying passionately pursuing cures. So what's wrong with the world? Well, the right answer will bring us to the solution. It will bring us to peace. And the answer is sin. Christ overcame sin so that the Prince of Peace could then be called the Prince of Peace. He overcame the thing that was causing the root cause of the world. Love what John Piper says about Christmas. He says, Christmas first is an indictment before it is a delight. Why does he say that? The reason why he says that is because the child is born in Bethlehem is not an economist, not an ethicist, not a therapist, nor is he merely a religious teacher. He's the Son of God. The Son of God. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father in order to rescue us from ourselves. And if God understood our problem to be so severe that it required not only a visitation, but a propitiation by none other than the second member of the Trinity, then what does that say about the root of our problem? Does Christ appearing suggest that we need some minor behavioral shift? God did not send us an aspirin. He sent us a heart surgery. The second person of the Trinity, God took on flesh. Because our hearts are broken by sin. So then what sin? Quite simple. Rebellion against God. It's breaking that first commandment to have no other God before the one true God. To 
What sin does is sin elevates the created and it worships it as the created. We have a worship problem. Sin elevates the created and worships it above the one true creator. So God understood that our souls are sick with sin. He understood that our hearts long to worship the created more than him the creator. He understood that in order to bring peace back into the world, he's going to have to enter it himself. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself by overcoming the sin that introduced all of the pain of the suffering. So as to then introduce and take back the land of beauty, the very good of his creation. This is exactly again what he did in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man lives a peaceful life, a whole life, which is to say he never sinned, he never did anything wrong. So therefore the sacrifice that is offered at the cross in Jesus Christ. It pays for the penalty of those with whom God's favor rests, those that believe, those that trust Him for peace. It pays for that curse. He dies. The wage of sin is death. So He pays the wage, is killed, in placed in the tomb three days later. Rises That resurrection tells us one very important thing. The pain of Check and clear. God had paid the curse for sin in Christ Jesus. And therefore, peace was breaking into the world in the Prince of Peace. He overcame it. The resurrection shows that he overcame the root problem of all of our sin. The root problem in the world, which is our sin. So the resurrection shows that love wins because Jesus wins by his overcoming sin and death. Here in making him that is why, friends, Jesus can say what he says right now in verse 33. In me you may have In the world you're going to have trouble. In the world you're going to have tribulation. In me you can have peace. Why? Because I overcame. I overcame the hardest thing about this world. The root cause of all pain and suffering. And therefore, if you would not trust Christ, believe Christ, you can have peace because he's the prince of peace. So the empty tomb in Jerusalem shows us the world that the, shows us that the world is full of all of its imaginations, all of its lies, all of its deceits, all of its devices. It shows the resurrection shows us they lose. And Christ wins. That's what we see in that empty tomb. And so therefore, if anyone were to hope in him, trust in him, they overcome all of that with him. They're united to him, and therefore they can have Jesus' peace. They can have his peace. They're united to him by faith. They're united to him. This is why Paul can write. This is why Paul can write in Galatians 2, for I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I that lives, but it is Christ that lives in me, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Those who are in Christ have been united to Him by grace through faith. Now all of His benefits are ours. His righteousness, my righteousness. Right? His victory, my victory. His peace, my peace. My wholeness. You guys, you guys know. Like, I'm a piece of work, so like I am not whole in and of myself. But in Christ, totally whole. Totally in the world, I think the reason why so many of us have so little peace is because we're trying so hard to 
find peace in the world instead of trying to find peace in the world. We spend so much time and energy trying to find peace in the world instead of taking that same energy and trying to look into the face of Christ when it was the Prince of Peace that ever came to the world. We're so busy trying to overcome the world ourselves and Jesus has already done it. The world is full of tribulation. Jesus is full of shadowy figure of our guys, God by the name of Demas. Demas sort of shadowy figure, he shows up three times. Three times. Once, once at the end of Colossians, once at the end of Philemon. And he's there, apparently, hanging out with Paul, spreading the gospel of the And we get this terrible, awful story of Demas. It pops up right at the end of Paul's life. Again, we don't know all the details, but he's traveling with Paul, a good friend, doing good things for the glory of Christ. At the end of Paul's life, he writes this to his disciple Timothy. Paul writes, Paul writes this. 2 Timothy 4 10. Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted and gone to Again, we don't have all the details, but there was a time when Demas understood himself to be trusting Christ, working for the spread of the gospel. Maybe he even still thought himself that way, that's not But as time wore on, maybe the tribulation of the gospel living got harder. His love for the world got exposed. He left Paul. In prison. Why? Why? Because he was in love with his present world. Trying to find peace. This world. The same world Jesus said he overcame. Now Jesus told us that there would be people like Jesus. People who claim to have received the gospel with great joy, only to be exposed as a fraud, a deeper love for the world. There's a lot of reasons why the stories of Jesus are so tragic to us. One of the most tragic reasons is because they actually think, people like Jesus actually think they're going to. find short-term pleasure and long-term pain, as opposed to following Christ, which is short-term pain and long-term pleasure. So in the midst of all the turmoil that we have experienced this year, maybe one of you are tempted to follow Jesus the festival, to leave all of love for this present world, try to find peace and peace. Maybe the tribulation is too strong in your life, maybe there's other loves in this present world that are tempting you to find peace in him. Friends, there is only one way to find peace in this world. It's not by loving this world. It's by loving the one that overcame. He's the only one who will find true peace in. We saw this last week in John 6, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. All of your hunger, all of your thirst, whatever they are, I satisfy the deepest hunger and thirst. Jesus says. He's the only one that can satisfy all of us. All of us. Nobody else can. Nobody else can bring us true peace, but He alone. He was the one that we were made for. So until you find your rest in Him, you'll never find peace in the world. You guys are going to learn this the day after tomorrow. Kids, this is going to be hard for you to understand today right now. But a couple days from now, after all those toys are over, after all your gifts, we don't come. We get to 
After that, all those gifts are gone. What you're going to find two, three, four, five days from now, what you're gonna, there's going to be something else you'll find. In other words, you won't be satisfied. So listen, listen. Jesus is the something. He's the answer. He's the peace that satisfies our weary souls. He's the one that makes us whole. He's the one that gives us. mentioned this has been a difficult year for me, and there's been a few times this year when I really felt this tribulation from Jesus. So much so that I did not want to answer my email. You ever had days like that? Seasons like that? I didn't want to answer my email. I didn't want to uh, look at the text messages coming in. Every time that phone would ring, I'd sort of look at it and sort of wonder what's going to be on the other side of that phone call. My soul had sort of gotten at me because I was just getting wave after wave that Mind you, but in these last six months that have been some of the most difficult, unpeaceful I've had, I would be mindful that it would be much easier to give up all of Jesus back to the Testament. It would be easier to do that. But then my life was less complicated. Instead of following Christ, trying to fast and teach and all of us to do that, make my life much less complicated, maybe easier. have not just one Jesus, you have a throng of Jesus. People loving this present world, fleeing away from Jesus. Jesus looks down the twelve disciples and says, you can leave me too? Peter looks back up and faces Christ and says, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed you. Leaving Christ and following some other road. You might have some short term pleasure, as I mentioned. But I am quite confident. I don't know what happened to Demas, but I'm pretty sure. Well, I know one thing I can be sure is that Demas found out that he shouldn't have left Paul. He shouldn't have loved his present world. He should have held fast to Christ and looked through his face and found eternal life in him because he's the best of peace. And one thing throughout this difficult season that I have found is to me to have peace. I haven't excelled in this, but something that I've done is simple. The one place that I have found peace is just by being honest with Jesus. I've said to him in my office and other occasions, I've just said to him, Jesus is hard. I don't really like this. It's difficult. But I've also said this to him many times. I'm sure he's hardly done this, but I say to him, I couldn't. Jesus couldn't endure this, try to find peace in you, not love the world. I couldn't do this if I didn't know that you had already endured it yourself. It gives me so much peace in the midst of my own tribulation that the one that's calling me to find peace in himself knows exactly what I'm going through. Exactly what I'm going through. I couldn't follow some other God for that reason alone. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. We talked about it. He knows what it's like to be made fun of. He knows what it's like to be misrepresented. He knows what it's like to lack peace. And guess what? He overcame all of that. Every bit of it. So it's so comforting to pray. To be honest with you. Good news to know that the one who is said to be the Prince of Peace is also said to be the Man of Sorrows. He's the one that rules the world. 
coding. I believe he hears my prayers. I believe he hears your prayers because he loves us. I believe that he will give us through those tribulations as we hold fast to him as he everlastingly fathers us into his heavenly kingdom. So if you're lacking peace, go to the Prince of Peace. You're not going to find it in loving glory. But you will find it. Because he made it possible. I'm going to leave you with these verses. Right at Mary and Father. Straight from the lips of the Prince of Peace himself. Revelation 21, 6 and 7. Love these first three words. It is done. I, Jesus says, am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without kingdom. The one who conquers will have his heritage. What's that inheritance? What's that heritage? I will be his God. He will be my son. On to say some last words of the Bible, Revelation 22 20. Surely I am helpless. Find peace in him. You will have trouble. You will have tribulation. <clears throat> he is overcoming. So in him, find peace. Because he is overcome. That which is causing so much trouble. The glory of that is.